Well, good morning. Um, again, my name is John. Um, it really is an honor to be speaking to you this morning. And um, Bryce, great job, man. <laughs> that was really good. I was just really caught up in um, the worship time this morning. That, that last song we sang is a great kind of context for, for why we're talking about this idea of getting hijacked. And God desires that we have a new life. We just sang about that. Um, God desires that we have a good life. But what happens is we can get hijacked along the way. Well, t- this series is regarding teachability. By not being teachable, that new life, that good direction God wants for us can, can go a different direction. And, and so... That's, that's why we're looking at this, because it's important to take God up on the good life. It's, it's better for us if we do, and so um, that's why we're doing this series, and we're wrapping it up today, like Josh said. Um, I, get, I think I was kind of assessing the times that I've uh, been up here to deliver the message. There's been a handful of times, and probably like four out of five or six times I've spoken on the issue of pride. It's just been the one that it's time to talk about pride again. And hey, John, come and talk about that. So I'm like, Lord, what are you... Uh... Okay, I'm listening now. Okay, so I'm, I am sharing this with you as I have been intaking it this whole week, preparing for this. But we're talking about this pride. I know better thinking. And I've made a discovery about myself. My wife is here. She can attest to that and, and say that, yeah, that's true. But I have a voice in my head from time to time, maybe more often than, than that. Um, I constantly hear, I know better. I tell myself that. Maybe you do too. This thought leads us into all sort of precarious circumstances, avoidable circumstances. For example, here, here, have you ever found yourself on a Saturday afternoon after a trip to the store, uh, taking a look at this. You're in your living room and you've got the instruction booklet out. You just came home from Ikea and you've got, you know, you, here we go. When I get to tackle an Ikea project, I start out with great intentions. I lay out, I get my tools. I don't use their little cheap tool they provide. I get the good stuff. And I lay them out over here. I open all the little baggies of hardware. Here's a picture of the next page. You get the hardware, you know, you get the... The cartoon guy saying, get a buddy, but I, I just do it on my own, you know. And I lay out the hardware over here. Somewhere around page four, though, um, I hear the voice. The voice that says, I know better. Um, in this context, the, the voice says, you don't need this little Swedish cartoon guy to lead you anymore. I know, I can do this. I know better. And so actually, this, this is actually page four. And, and this is on the most, this is my most recent IKEA project. And then this is the page that I got off course. Page four of like 20. Um, despite the simplicity of the design of this page, and even the parts, you know, they even package them like, open this first, and then do this. And then don't open that yet. Open, start here and build this, and then do that. But, but I know better than, than the Swedish cartoon. So, so this is the page where I got lost. And, and here on this step two of page four, you see two posts that attach to the, to the sides I already assembled. Um, and it looks really simple, but... Uh, They're unique. The posts are unique. There's some subtle differences between these two posts. And the already assembled sides there, they're unique too, because one is intended to be the left and one is intended to be the right. The posts, one is front, one is back. And you see where this is going. And I would describe myself as a fairly capable guy in terms of spatial reasoning. I can imagine a 3D thing and, you know, I see some head nods. You guys know where I'm at. Uh, So I can process these things. But... 
My confidence in that ability was the main cause in me missing some detail on step two of page four of this project. Because of the subtlety of my mistake, it's basically like one drill, one whole drill difference between these two posts. So I got all the way to page 16 before I realized I made a mistake here. I, I sort of referenced the instructions, but I sort of set them aside. And when I stepped back and I looked at my project that I had just finished, it was a little off. It was actually like backwards, like the drawers <laughs> pulled out the backside. So <laughs> not, not a great idea. My time and my ego took a hit that day. And, you know, so I, I went back to page four, and then I followed the Swedish cartoon guy all the way. But, but it's the voice inside that says, I know better. And this is, it's an ugly, deeply rooted problem. It's connected to something bigger than just putting IKEA furniture together. But, but this problem is called pride. Pride is the source of all kinds of trouble in our lives, and it is in direct opposition to teachability, which is the, the topic of our series. It has a gigantic impact on our lives. And I imagine you found yourself in situations where you've heard the voice, I know better. And maybe it was in your circle of friends. Uh, somebody uh, shared something, and without even noticing it, you jumped to make a correction. Uh, or even you got into a debate over something silly, like how many miles is it to the beach from here? Or uh, what is a number two at In-N-Out? Is it the single or the double? You know, you, and we get, into, we get into debate sometimes because the voice says, I know better, I need to correct that. Uh, it shows up in our marriages. I imagine uh, most fights between husbands and wives, uh, one of the root problems was somebody thought, or both, I know better, and, and, and things happen from there. It's especially hard at work to battle this pride down, this thought, uh, this approach that I know better, especially with coworkers, even maybe a boss or a manager, leadership that we deem inadequate in our own view. It's really hard to not approach work with an I know better attitude. And we operate with this approach on an even larger scope than Ikea furniture and even relationships, but we operate with an I know better approach as we plan our lives out. Um, and, that, and this is the level I want to talk at today. Broadly speaking, we, we make plans for our lives. Uh, we, then we spend our time, we spend our resources executing the plans that we've made. We decide where we're going to live, probably based on some, some sort of plan, right? Uh, I, I work here, so I'm going to live nearby. I need to work to earn money to live, so I'll live there. That's a plan. Or we may choose where we live based on, I have family here, they need my help, or I need their help, so I'll live here. Uh, Or we move to a new city to study at a school because we're studying for our future career. These are all plans that we make. Uh, In fact, you you may even choose your work or your career. Uh, You may choose what you do with your life just based on a plan. Something you feel passionate about, so I'm going to pursue that. Or something that... Will, will pay me well through, through my lifetime. And so that's a plan that we make and we pursue that. Uh, probably universally, we make a plan for our lives to be fulfilling. We all want that. We all want good relationships and good friends. We want to have a little fun. Uh, maybe even do things that outlast us, leave a legacy behind. Making plans is good. It's, it's good to do. But the problem is when we approach our plans in our, in our entire life with this I know better attitude, we easily get off track. Um, and I'm going to show you why from Scripture and then, and then offer what Scripture says on how to combat that. But let me go a little bit more on this pride issue. Uh, unfortunately, pride is our default mode. 
We're, when we're born, we, we've got this. We've got uh, selfish, prideful uh, ambitions in our own heart. So from birth, we've got this. That's why it's hard to train our kids to share a toy. If you've ever, you know, parented or even just worked with kids, that's a tough thing to do, to share my toy with somebody else. As adults, it's, it's hard to, for us to share as well. But it looks a little more sophisticated, right? We can, we'll share the, the Hot Wheels. But it's hard for us to give our time and share our time with others. We guard me time, even with our most close relationships and close friends. Uh, it's, hard, it's really hard for us to give money to something that's not going to turn around and return to us equal or greater value. It's really hard as adults to share our skills or abilities if we're not going to get compensated uh, for that. So th- that, that's just to, to show you what you already know, that we're born with this issue. And not only is it our default mode, but the culture we're in is really prime soil to nurture this attitude. It's, a, it's like miracle grow to our pride that's already there, um, our culture. And Scott's message a couple weeks ago about relativism is a good ex- explanation of why. Why do, we, why do we nurture this attitude? But I want to tell you how our culture is a really good uh, kind of nurturer of this attitude. We have heroes in our culture. You and I, we have our own heroes. But, but, but they're the entrepreneurs, the CEOs, the, the professional athletes maybe, the actors, the politicians, maybe even like a professor or just a scholar that we follow. But, but here's the narrative common to most of our heroes, is the ambitious self-starter following their own dreams, following their own heart at all costs uh, to get what they want. That, that's pretty much the story of every... Most movies, uh, certainly most Disney movies, that, that's our phase. We have three kids, we're watching you know, these Disney movies, and it's follow your heart, follow your dreams, you can do it. Um, and we idolize that narrative, we want that for our lives. And so, I know better gets really encouraged. You do know better, go get what you want, uh, work hard. And just in terms of other social structures, it seems like those who know better, those who kind of like lift themselves up over everyone else, they're the ones that actually get ahead. They get the promotions at work sometimes. They get the better grades at school sometimes, the bigger house, the nicer car. And so it's really hard to combat this when that's the culture that we're in. We get encouraged to aggressively follow our hearts and our own plans with little or no thought to what's actually in my heart and where might that take me down the road. And unfortunately, one, one more kind of point on this, even in our own Christian culture, uh, we get encouragement sometimes to operate this way. It's amazing how many people make big plans with their lives, major, major life decisions, without really seeking counsel or, or truly opening themselves up to hear uh, some instruction or input. We might find a Bible verse that, hey, that sort of relates to what I'm doing. And then we confidently stake our claim, the Bible told me to do this thing. Typically, here's what it looks like in, in a Christian circle to operate with I know better thinking. Uh, my desires, my thinking are leading the way. I make my plans based on that. Here's what I'm going to do. I look for a Bible verse that, that backs that up. Maybe I'll even talk to somebody, but somebody who I know will back that up. And then we make the decision and, and move that direction. And, and we tend to make these decisions based on what we want. We have this hunch. It'd be good to get some input. But pride says, I know better, and throws aside the instruction booklet. <laughs> it throws aside any help made available to us along the way. 
And we start building our lives. So just like I built that Ikea dresser, we start building our lives. And that's the moment when we decide to to throw the directions aside and and kind of just rely on ourselves. That's the moment that we've been hijacked by pride, by this I know better thinking. And in this building metaphor, we're building our lives. God is the supplier of the materials, all the building materials. He, He designed each piece. He knows how they work, their uniqueness, their function. The subtlety of them all. Um, some of those pieces of life are relationships, finances, responsibilities or work, even attitude, pain, uh, resources and time. God offers direction on all of these things. And through his word and through uh, people he puts around us, actually through pain and through experiences, he's teaching us uh, to build a good life. But as we allow decision after decision to flow from this misguided thinking, I know better, then we step back one day and we look at our life, what we're constructing, and we're a little disappointed. Uh, it, it looks a little off than what I wanted, or it looks a little off from what God said my life would look like. And ironically, it's our plans that we make for the best life possible, which get drafted by this type of thinking, I know better, that actually result in disappointment, even destruction. Now, God is familiar with the struggle of ours. This is a pretty heavy, pretty heavy topic, and it, it kind of stays heavy, um, but there is a ton of hope offered here. And God is familiar with this struggle of ours. In fact, no sooner than he created the world and created people on it, then this attitude showed up on the planet. I know better. But the good news is that he offers some insight and help. So I want to spend the rest of the time looking at what God says about this I know better approach to life. So here's the core idea, and you have this in your listening guide. The core idea this morning is that consulting only myself leads to failure. Consulting only myself leads to failure. Here's Proverbs 15.22. It says, Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. So when we take the I know better approach and we disregard wise counsel, the end result is failure. So I want to develop this idea from the Bible not just from nuggets of truth from Proverbs, but actually from a story. All right, so it's story time. So sit back and enjoy the story here. I want to point to a man whose life was actually nearly entirely categorized by the I know better approach. Right up until the end of his life. He had a, a redeeming end to his life, but his whole life before that end embodies this approach. In the Old Testament, in the book of Judges, we find the story of Samson. All right, So we remember Samson for his final heroic act. He actually killed 3,000 enemies of God in, in one moment. He was literally pushing against the main structures of, of this big kind of palace structure building. Pushed against the main pillars, causing the whole thing to collapse. Everyone died. He actually died in the process too. Um, it was an act of of heroism, but his life before that point was really very much categorized by the I know better approach that we're looking at. In fact, before Samson was born, God sent an angel to his parents to tell them, you're going to have a son. He's going to be really special. Uh, he's going to be a Nazarite, which was, uh, I, I did some study. What does a Nazarite mean? It, it basically means somebody set aside specifically and specially for God's purposes. They had a list of things that they lived by, kind of just a way they lived, that just really enabled God to use them. Ironically, though, even though he was set apart by God from birth, 
he, he did an awful lot of pursuing his own desires with his life. So I, uh, we're not going to read his whole story. There's only three chapters uh, uh, of his story in Judges. I encourage you this week, go read it. It's really entertaining um, and really wild, some of the stories of Samson's life. But in one specific story, Samson's pride kept him from being teachable. In this story, he keeps making the same mistake actually four times in a row and ultimately leads him to his death. So, so here's the story. All right? You may be familiar a little bit with Samson, but here's the story. Samson fell in love yet again with a beautiful woman. This time her name was Delilah. By the way, this story would make millions at the box office. So if you're a screenwriter or a director, you should pick this one up. Because it's, it's got the elements of a thriller, kind of a spy movie. It's romantic. It'd be great. Okay, so let's go back. Samson, he's a Hebrew man. Delilah is a Philistine woman. Their love is forbidden because their people are enemies of each other. But Sam, the, the reports of Samson's strength, the wild stories of his, of his past, had preceded him to the city where, where Delilah is. So the Philistines knew. First of all, he's our enemy. We don't want him here. But they knew we can't overpower him based on what we've heard about this guy. Uh, so they devised a plan for his destruction. They enticed Delilah uh, with an exuberant amount of money to find out the secret to his strength so that they could defeat Samson. So, so check out this verse. This is Judges 16. Uh, this, is the, this is how it unfolded. After this, Samson loved a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. The lords of the Philistines came to her and said to her, Seduce him and, and see where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him. And we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. Now, most Bible scholars think there were five lords of the Philistines. So this was 5,500 pieces of silver, which was just... A bonkers amount of money in this time. I think like a field costs like 30 shekels of, of silver uh, uh, to buy a property. So this is, I don't even know how many times that, mu- that much. So Delilah did not waste a second. Probably while they were out at a romantic dinner, maybe Olive Garden or Red Lobster, she batted her eyelashes. She said, please tell me, Samson, where does your great strength come from? How might you be bound and, and subdued? So it's hard to know at that moment, what Samson was thinking. Uh, but he quickly replied with a decoy answer. It's, it's almost like he entered the game that she just introduced. He, he told her, he just made something up. It was a lie off the top of his head. He said, if I'm bound by seven new bowstrings from like a bow and arrow, seven new bowstrings, my strength will fail. And sure enough, that night, he was bound by seven new bowstrings, but it didn't cause him to lose his strength. Okay, again, at this point, Samson should have been wondering about this girl. (laughs) Clearly, she was behind him getting bound by seven. He didn't tell anyone else this. So at this point, he should have called up his buddies. He should have explained to them, hey, I really like this girl, but there is no doubt that she's out to get me here. The input he would have received would have saved his life in the end. Apparently, though, they made it through this awkward encounter. The, the next time they were uh, walking along the beach, maybe hand in hand, she asked him again, Hey, Samson, tell me where your strength is, is that you might be bound and subdued. And Samson had another chance here to say, All right, that's it, I'm out, and run away. But instead, in relying on his own wit, 
he gave another decoy answer. This time he said, new ropes. Not bowstrings, but new ropes. So that night he was bound by new ropes. His strength didn't fail him. uh, And he survived. It's likely that Samson actually had some Hebrew advisors with him. After all, he was in enemy territory, seeing about a girl over here. And he probably had some Hebrew advisors with him. And no doubt they were beside themselves about this situation, warning him to stop seeing her. But he obviously was dodging that instruction. Samson made his plans. He made up his mind to be with Delilah. His pride, his desires led him to pursue a life that was going to end in his destruction. Consulting only himself, though, he continued down this path. And the same pattern happened a third time, believe it or not. She asked him. He gave a decoy answer. He was bound up. It didn't work. And then a fourth time, it happened again. And it was on the fourth request. For some reason, Samson caved. He told her the truth. Uh, Quickly after, he found himself bound, weakened, imprisoned. Here's verse 21 of chapter 16. And the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, brought him down to Gaza, bound him with bronze shackles, and he ground at the mill in prison. This was the result of following his own plans. Delilah got paid. The Philistines put their defeated prisoner on display during one of their pagan uh, religious ceremonies. And that was the scene of his final act. When he finally said, God, I'll submit to you now. Just use me to destroy these people. And so that was the scene of, of his final act. So here's a description of Samson by a Bible scholar. He says this, Samson is a man with a higher calling than any other deliverer in the book of Judges. But he spends his whole life Doing his own thing. Despite being set apart for God's purposes, even before he was born, Samson pursued his own plans based on what he thought was was better. It's as if Samson considered what God said. No doubt his parents told him, hey, by the way, before you were born, some angels came to us and they said, you're going to be pretty special. No doubt as he grew up, he heard about God's special plans for him. But it's as if he considered those plans and then he turned and looked at God and said, I know better. I'm going to do something else. He really could have used some wise input in his life to to help him get a read. But his pride, his I know better thinking didn't allow room for any input. In this story, Samson's mistake, it's actually the same mistake we make when we approach life with too much confidence in ourselves. Things that are plain to see Um, become hidden to us as we do this. And the ultimate result is failure. So let me put this another way. Uh, In Samson's life and in in ours, an I know better life, uh, approach to life, always results in wasted potential. It always results in wasted potential. And this is, actually, this is one of my biggest fears, to get to the end of life and look back and just feel like disappointed. Like, man, I should have, or I could have, or what if I would have done this God's way, or what if... I I just, I have that fear. Can you imagine the impact Samson's life could have had as this literally like superhero-ish guy in the Bible? God was supernaturally gifting him. He could have had incredible impact. Instead, um, he shortchanged the plans that God had for his life. He took his God-given abilities and said, I know better, and he put together a life that was, in the end... Fairly disappointing. And I know better life not only leads to wasted potential, but ultimately it leads to death. In the most severe 
circumstance, the, the consequences of remaining in our pride, what Scripture also calls being stiff-necked, is that God may actually hand us over and say, fine, do, do it your way. Follow your plans. Look at Romans 1. This is God's righteous judgment, by the way. Romans 1 says, Furthermore, they, since they, and the they is referring to, back in verse 18, people that put God aside and they go their own way. They, they don't reference God with their lives. Since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, He, God, gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They've become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. The scary truth is that when we remain in our I know better position and posture, God might actually give us over to those desires. That's part of his judgment. And it doesn't end well. Look at verse 31. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, and this is an eternal death separate from God. Not only do they continue to do those very things, but also approve of others who practice them. So it's as if people on this road to life, I know better, they're, they're calling people over to their road as well. Uh, it's just this cycle that, of destruction that we see. Remaining stiff-necked to God and to those God's put, God puts in our lives has really severe consequences. So how do we avoid this? How do we get, out of, get off that road to destruction? The secret is, one of the secrets, is we really need to listen and accept the instruction from God. God provides instruction through His Word, very clearly. God provides people in our lives to give us instruction. God allows even for pain in our lives to happen, for us to learn from, and it's for our good. So I'm going to illustrate this another way. So let me shift a gear one more time. Illustrate this a different way. I imagine most of you are are familiar with the game dodgeball. In fact, you're probably all reigning champions at some point in your life in dodgeball out on, on the recess fields. So here's the basics. In dodgeball, you have a ball. You throw it. If you hit the guy, he's out. If they hit you, you're out. It's great because it's so simple. Um, one of my favorite parts of dodgeball, though, is if you catch the ball, not only are you safe, but the other guy is out. And you get to pull in somebody from your team that had already gotten out. So it's kind of like a triple like win if you catch the ball. So here's a short video clip to illustrate dodgeball. All right, um, We're about to see the pivotal moment in the biggest dodgeball championship game ever played. All right, So take a look. Well, it's all up to Average Joe's youngest member. He's got to make a play here, Pepper. Ah, word, Cotton. Four Cobras and one Joe. Even a rabid mongoose wouldn't have a chance now. Oh, nice God. Oh, they're just toying with the young man now. He's got to avoid getting hit here, Cotton. That's the key. Let's go, let's go. Oh, what a great catch. And another. He LeBlanc comes back into the game. Uh, you can watch the rest of that later. But that's, it's a silly movie, but that's the image I want to use to talk about pride, how it causes us to miss, miss hearing life-changing instruction. So you and I, were inclined by our natural prideful state, I know better thinking, to dodge instruction, just like that little guy was dodging. Um, our pride makes us good at dodging, in fact. Sometimes wise counsel is going to challenge the plans that we've made, so we dodge it. Uh, just like dodging a dodgeball. 
So, to combat the I know better approach to life, uh, what I want to frame this as is we need to get in position to catch instruction. Alright, so I want to, how, how do we get in position not to dodge instruction but to catch it? Just like in Major League Baseball, there's full-time batting coaches and pitching coaches. Their whole job is to make sure their, the team has the right posture. The elbow's in the right way, the bats, the feet are in the right way. So posture matters if you want to do something. Just like golf, just like gymnastics. And so, if we're gonna receive instruction, we need to have the right posture. So first, let me tell you how to avoid having poor posture. Okay, so this is in your listening guide. Avoid poor posture, so don't dodge instruction. Just don't dodge it. Pride makes us dodge instruction. When we say and we live the I know better approach, um, that, that is our primary dodge. Nope, I know better, and we, we dodge that one. Nope, I know better, so we dodge another one. When we get wise in our own eyes, we're actually being a fool, even being lazy. Look at Proverbs 12:15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens. So it's foolish to dodge. Another proverb, 13:18, says poverty and disgrace come to him who ignores instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is honored. So ignoring is another dodge. When we just think flat out ignore it, uh, we dodge instruction. When we do that, we're missing what God has for us. We're missing the instructions to build a good life, one that He wants us to have. When we say things like, no, it's different for me, or oh, in my special case, those are all dodges. Um, poor posture can also cause us to get defensive. So, don't choose a defensive attitude. If we're going to have the right posture, we need to, to choose the opposite of a defensive attitude. Our pride really hates. You and I hate not knowing something. Some more than others, but it's there. We hate being wrong. Our pride hates being wrong. We even hate being helped sometimes. So we get defensive instead of receiving instruction. So here's some of the defensive moves. I've labeled them based on the Proverbs that relate to them. But here's, here's one defensive move. We get a stiff neck. So this is the stiff neck. Look at Proverbs 29, 1. He who is often reproved yet stiffens his neck will suddenly be broken beyond healing. Here's the hard heart. This is another defensive move. Proverbs 28. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. Here's another defensive move. We despise wisdom. We just despise it. Whoever despises the word, which is God's word, also words from others, brings destruction on himself. But he who reveres the command will be rewarded. And then lastly, we just don't care. A defensive move is just to say, yeah, I'm indifferent, I don't care. Uh, this is Proverbs 19:16. Whoever keeps the commandment keeps his life, but he who despises his ways will die. Another translation says, uh, he who uh, has a careless approach will die. When we get defensive, the promise is brokenness, calamity, destruction, even death. So we have the choice. When instruction is coming our way, we have the choice to dodge it or to try to catch it and and take the teachable route. So here's the right posture if you're going to catch it. Okay, here's good posture. It starts and ends with the idea humility. Right? More specifically, admit that I have a lot to learn. This is the humble approach. To say, you know what, there's things that I don't actually know here. uh, So I need to admit that I, I have to learn. Otherwise, we're, we're not going to learn. 
The reality is, God's ways and God's wisdom are so far above what our minds can, can grasp. We're never, we're never going to be able to, to learn what we need to learn. And that's in Isaiah 55, that's what that says. Another verse says, without God's spirit, reality, absolute truth, it looks like foolishness to us. Look at 1 Corinthians 2. The natural person, and that is the person living the I know better life without God, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. We can't even recognize real wisdom without God. We're not able to understand them because we are, they are spiritually discerned. So, even if we had the ability to fathom the wisdom of God and, and how life really works, all the pieces, how they fit together, another reality is we don't have enough time. A lifetime is not enough to learn everything on our own. Scott, uh, uh, two weeks ago, gave this equation. Experience with truth plus time equals wisdom. And I thought, that's pretty good. But, and, he, and he said this too. The fact, the, the fact is, we don't have enough time to experience truth to grow fast enough in wisdom to put a life together that is good and meaningful. We need to catch instruction to get ahead on the, on the time curve. Typically, in, in our culture, just kind of how we are, people retire from learning. They no longer consider themselves students, probably somewhere in their 20s. Uh, and that, and our pride wants us to do that in a spiritual sense too. We want to retire the posture of learning. But at OCC, we have some really great examples of people admitting, I don't know it all. They're combating the I know better approach to life by, by joining some training programs, by committing it at really high levels to learn. And you've probably heard about North Star. Uh, maybe you've heard about Antioch Project. Um, but let me just give you a quick example. In the, in North Star, Year two, the group that I lead, the age range of this group is 22 years old to 69 years old. The average age in that group is 37. And many people in this group are at ages beyond what the world would say. You still need to keep learning. You still, you you haven't figured it out yet. Um, They're putting themselves in a position to grow and to learn. The point here is that catching instruction, main, maintaining humility, it's going to need to be our entire lives. Lastly, here, here's, a, here's one more thought. Good posture. To kill our pride, we need to submit to God's plan. God, God has a plan for us that we grow, but we need to willingly catch the instruction as it comes. So here's some action steps related to that. How do we do that? First, we can confess pride to God. Just the act of confessing something requires humility. God promises to forgive. He has better plans for us, but we need to get in alignment with Him. So confess it. Then seek wisdom. Don't let your mind go idle. Don't retire as a learner. Don't slip into neutral in your life. But prioritize seeking wisdom, having a quiet time uh, daily if you can. Um, ask God to make you successful as you seek wisdom. Pray. The other thing is this. Get under leadership. This is the part of humility we don't like. But God's plan for us to grow, one of the main uh, avenues of growth that's going to happen in our lives, is people who are more spiritually mature than us. That's his plan. There's a great verse in 2 Timothy 2 too. It talks about this idea of one group investing in another group who invests in another group. This is God's plan of, for how this is going to, how we're going to grow. He imparts actually 
secret and hidden, hidden wisdom from God to those who seek it, who can then pass it on to others. So a great, uh, I guess, action step in this is think about this. Willingly let somebody else have some authority in your life. Willingly let somebody speak into your life, someone who's spiritually wise. You might, you might also look at what opportunities are around me to continue growing. It's better to choose humility, by the way. It's better to choose it rather than getting humbled. Uh, the end result is the same. We're going to end up humbled. It's better to choose it now than to be humbled, like Samson was, like these Proverbs talk about. And on the back of your listening guide, I've summarized some of the, what Proverbs says about dodging instruction. Take a second, look at this, maybe even put a star by your favorite move. Which one is your dodge when instruction comes? Again, instruction can be from a wise person. It can be from an experience that God had you walk through. It might even be a painful experience. It might be that God spoke to you pretty clearly through his word. But we do- our tendency is to dodge. So think about that and then consider the result of dodging. There's some se- severe severe results of, of doing this. And so I encourage you uh, to consider how, how am I going to catch wisdom? What do I need to change? What posture uh, can, I, can I change and make better in order to catch wisdom? There's a few next steps at the bottom of your listening guide. Take a look at those and, and I really urge you find the one. Just find one that you can do this week to apply this. <clears throat> Maybe you're at step number one. Admit I have a lot to learn and not enough time to learn it. That's a that's a humbling realization. And then to admit that is a big step towards humility. Next, uh, you might find the wise advisors that are already around you. Consider that. Take a second, write, even write their name or initials on that line, if you can think of, a, of those. Um, by the way, let me invite the band to come back up as, as I wrap up. Um, the third next step, identify your favorite dodge. Work towards good posture. Uh, with regard to receiving instruction. So let me, let me wrap up by saying this. Imagine with me what God might do through this church, through this group of people here, as we submit to Him, if we start catching instruction as it comes, really in humility, trying to build a life, that, that, a good life that God wants for us. As a church body, we wouldn't be wasting any potential uh, that, that God has for us. We'd be a really sharp tool in God's hands to build up His kingdom if we could battle the pride issue. So I want to pray as we close and then we'll continue with our service. So let's pray. God, we recognize this morning uh, that You do. You do love us. We sang about that. We know that from Scripture. You love us and You have incredible plans for our lives. God, but we have this pride issue that wants to to butt in and, and to change the plans. God, we want to have glory for ourselves or whatever the motivation is, God, but we get off course. So would you please help us today realize, identify in our, in our lives where we do this, God. Thank you for the incredible resource of your word and of people who are around us that can help. God, I pray that you would help us to, uh, to take the humble approach, God, and seek wisdom, confess pride to you, Consider what our options are at whatever stage in life we're in to move forward and, and be teachable. So we thank you, God, for your word and, and the, the plans that you do have for us. We ask for your help, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.